Welcome to the Theology Podcast. And uh, as we uh, podcast or broadcast every time, we are here at the Corner Pug in Tony West Hartford, Connecticut. And uh, I am C.R. Wiley. I'm the pastor of the Presbyterian Church of Manchester. And I'm joined by the friends who are with me almost every time, except when they're on vacation, when they're on the road. <laughs> but uh, Tom, why don't you start? I'm Tom Price. Uh, theologian and Christian ethicist, and I teach both at Gordon-Conwell Theological Seminary. And I'm Glenn Sunshine, professor of history at Central Connecticut State University and senior fellow at the Colson Center for Christian Worldview. And as I noted, I'm uh, C.R. Wiley. I'm the pastor of the Presbyterian Church of Manchester. And uh, we wanted you to know, uh, our faithful listening audience, that uh, we're going to have a special guest in just a few weeks, uh, Dr. Ben Merkel from the uh, uh, college out in Idaho, New St. Andrews College, will be here in Connecticut. And he's going to be at the Presbyterian Church of Manchester preaching on the 20th of uh, October. But the day before, on the 19th, uh, he'll be with us uh, for a live uh, studio audience podcast. And uh, he's going to be addressing uh, the theme of classical Christian education with us. And we're really pleased to, uh, to, uh, that he's going to do that, and, that and, we, and we're looking forward to it. But if you are in the uh, Connecticut uh, or the Hartford area and you'd like to be uh, at this uh, live studio audience podcast, uh, we'd love for you to, to be there. We don't know exactly uh, you know, uh, any, any details yet in terms of time or location, but uh, as soon as we do, we're going to post it on our Facebook page, which reminds me, if you're not follower of the Theology Podcast on Facebook, you can, you can become one, and it's absolutely free. <laughs> you, you know, all you need to do is belong to Facebook, and you can, can be a, a fan of the podcast uh, there uh, on Facebook, and we'll let folks know about the details when we know them. Actually, anyway. actually, you don't even have to belong to Facebook. You simply have to be on it. Yeah, <laughs> there you go. A nice distinction. Nice distinction. That's a good. That's a good thing. I don't belong to Facebook. I guess right. right. Well, uh, longtime listeners know that we kind of go around the horn to use ba a baseball image, and uh, and today is Glenn's day. So, Glenn, what are we talking about today? Well, I'm currently working on a series of articles over at Breakpoint on emerging worldviews, and looking at. <coughs> excuse me. Looking ahead several weeks, um, um, probably months actually at the rate I'm going, uh, I, th I think the, the one that I ultimately want to end with is going to be consumerism. Hmm. Now, I'm using consumerism in kind of a, a broad term, and I'm just exploring the idea here, so I thought this would be a good place to, to talk about it, to uh, get some other ideas and uh, move things forward there. As it's usually used, consumerism refers to the idea that you are what you have. Okay. okay. That uh, it, it's, it's uh, an economic theory, it's a sociological uh, theory that really revolves around the idea that, uh, of consumption. I remember, I remember a bumper sticker. Do you remember this bumper sticker? He who dies with the most toys wins. Right, exactly. Yeah, that so was that, popular in the 80s. Yeah, and, and that, that's, a, that, that, that's in the Gordon Gecko Greed is Good era. Right, you know, right, I mean, right. And, and, you know, so consumerism is, is something that we talk about in connection with acquisition. We want more uh, of, of pretty much everything. And 
that has a huge effect on the way we live our lives. But I would argue that there's also elements that are behind consumerism that end up shaping us in ways that we don't even realize, that don't have anything directly to do with consumption. Um, I think where I would really put the most emphasis is less on the acquisition, for, for present purposes, is less on the acquisition side and more on the issue of choice. Consumerism is really based around the idea that you get to pick and choose what it is that you want to acquire, that what, you, what you want to spend your money on, what you want to work toward, all of those kinds of things. And you are entitled to whatever you can afford that you choose. Okay? Now there are constraints, like I said, you have to be able to afford it and things like that. But choice, the ability to make those decisions uh, almost in a libertarian way, is really central to consumerism, and yet I find surprisingly few people who talk about it. Hmm. Hmm. And that issue of, of your ability to choose what you want to do with your resources, with your time, with your whatever, is, I think, the way in which consumerism pretty much affects everything that we do. Mm -hmm. Maybe that should be infects. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, for example, when you are deciding what church you want to go to, mm -hmm. the decision is made on the basis of how well does this fit my needs, how well does the music suit my tastes, how well does the time fit my schedule so that I can get out early enough so that I can do what I really want to do on Sunday. Right, right. Um, you know, did, can, can I get out of church before noon? Because if I can, then that's a plus, because then I can, I can uh, spend my afternoon or lunch or whatever doing, right. doing what I really cho would choose to do. Right. So I've got a responsibility maybe to be in church, but I'm gonna pick my church on the basis of my own desires, my own interests, my own needs, my own tastes, my own timing, all of those kinds of things. Yeah, because so, as a consumer, we have freedom of choice to pick what it is that we desire. So there is a, at least a small concession to, you know, duty. In the mm -hmm. sense, like I got uh, or obligation, I've got to be in church. Mm -hmm. But uh, everything else about the whole experience is, is evaluated through the lens of what's in it for me, or what I, what I, how does it fit me, or is it what I choose. And, and that could be coupled with a theme I'll be getting to in a couple of weeks, that a, a certain notion similar to the consumer self is that um, what makes me a fulfilled self is that all of these things reflect what I want or what I desire or what makes me um, feel f fulfilled or gratified. Mm -hmm. right. Yeah. Yeah, well, I want to back off a little bit though on the sense of duty because it turns out that I know a great number of parents who would prefer to, you know, quote, prefer to be in church, but their kids have soccer on Sunday. <laughs> right. right. And they, they, they really need to support their, their, their kids, so they're going to right. go to the soccer game to support them. And so the family will just have to miss church during soccer season. Right, right. Mm. Which is a sort of reflects, you know, a, a hierarchy of values mm. that gets communicated to the kid. Yep. Right. You know, I uh, we had when I when my kids were small. You know, we had the same you know, dynamic, and, yeah. 
And uh, I'm a pastor, though, so I, <laughs> I can't skip church. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> and I remember, uh, uh, you know, the uh, you know the uh, little league was, you know, had already laid claim to Saturdays. So, and then soccer, you know, youth soccer already, yeah. you know, did too. So youth football, huh. you know, was on Sunday mornings. Mm. And my, in our second son. You know, he, he was built to be a kind of a lineman, linebacker kind of kid, and he enjoyed, you know, that kind of stuff. And, but we, we had to, you know, uh, say to him, you know, sorry, you know, yeah. Gabe, we, we, we can't have you participate in this. Yeah, yeah. Now, Gabe loves the Lord, and he's in church now, and uh, he actually uh, attends a, a sister church or a nearby church uh, because of, well, certain dynamics and you know, make a, a better situation situation for him but uh, he uh, you know mentioned to me one time that he he at one point was unhappy about that yeah yeah but you know I think and I haven't revisited that with him but I, I I'm pretty sure it got the message across even though I am a pastor yeah, yeah. <laughs> that there are some things more important than you know youth sports yeah although interestingly enough in West Hartford Tony West Hartford where we are right now <laughs> their youth soccer does not play on Saturdays hmm. because there's a strong Jewish community here yeah, and yeah, they yeah. absolutely insist that they are not going to do soccer on Saturdays. So on it's the, Sundays. I so they so get to the Reformed Sundays. Sabbath as well, right? <laughs> <laughs> Which just goes to show how much of a pushover most of our Christian pastors are in, in West Hartford. They were to draw the line with the same measure of, of, of resolve you know, I, I remember uh, uh, Nicholas uh, Taleb, you know, Nassim yeah. Taleb, uh, he, he, he uh, wrote a book entitled Anti-Fragile. He's got a number of other books, but one of the things that uh, he said, I think it was an Anti-Fragile, is the most intolerant wins. Hmm. And uh, he has a whole set of, uh, you know, mathematical equations to show sure. how, it actually, how it actually worked hmm. or works. But anyway, hmm. so... Uh, this is this again. This is kind of a, a paradox then, because in terms of our our interest as pastors, I'm a pastor, and I'm a bit of an odd duck in many respects, and this is one of the ways I'm an odd duck. But but uh, one of the ways that most pastors or many pastors think is that we have to be as sort of winsome and appealing as possible, sort of you know be all things to all men, yeah. so that by all you know any means we might win some or close yeah. to any means, but. Yeah. But that, but that's sort of the gist of it, and we wouldn't want to, you know, come across as too intolerant or too demanding. We yeah. want to be accommodating. Yeah. So yeah. accommodation is the way, ironically, in their minds, to reach the world and influence the culture. But what we have over here is we've got a bunch of intolerant Jewish rabbis who are influencing the culture far more profoundly. Right. <laughs> There is no soccer in West Hartford on Saturday. And it's their affirmation of something they believe that's, that's right. sort of irrevocable. That's right. And you know what? I, I applaud them. I mean, yeah. you know, we're not, yeah. I, I'm, not, I'm yeah. not throwing rocks here. They are doing what they should They're be doing. They're doing what we should be doing. Right, right. Yeah, yeah, maybe we should just eliminate soccer programs by you know, saying the yeah. only time you, you know, can have them is yeah. during school. Yeah. <laughs> so that's right. That's another thing. So th there's another thing, you know, you yeah. would never challenge the right of yeah. the, you know, public school to yeah. have a monopoly on the time of children, yeah. uh, you know, by, you know, offering a, 
you know, youth soccer program on a, yeah. say, Friday morning or so forth. Well, it shows but, but, you, but, there's yeah. no, but there's no consideration for the church That's right. and its claims. That's right. And yeah, there's, there's a lot going on right there. I mean, I think socially, culturally, the way in which that kind of, um, that kind of what it would be considered sort of uh, uh, the person who needs to do the compromising is the church, mm -hmm. or not the person, but the group that yeah. needs to um, do, do the compromising is the church there, and that that's a negotiable thing for the church. Mm -hmm. Take its most sacred day, the worship of the resurrection of Christ, or the, the yeah. deeper yeah. with the emphasis on Sabbath. In any case, that's a holy day. Now it's just one more day yeah. amongst the rest, and, and, and so maybe we can accommodate the schedule. People go to an early service, but nevertheless, the game's going to well, you know, it's interesting when it comes to, you know, the, the character of Sunday, it still has a quieter sort of tone or feel yeah. uh, in many respects. But I, I, I think that I, you know, and in, in as I think about conversations I've had with people who aren't even churched, there's a, a kind of a wistfulness or a longing for the quiet of the Sunday that they knew as children. I'm talking yeah. about older people. Sure. But they're not willing to pay the price hmm. of, of not getting their milk on Sunday or mm -hmm. being able to do anything else they want on Sunday. Sunday. They expect, they want to have it all. Yes. They want to be able to have that sense that one day in yeah. seven is special and for family and for worship and it's quiet. Yeah. Yeah. The interesting thing is if you go to Germany, um, I think this is still true. It was certainly true when I lived there a while ago. The, they really almost mock the American idea that we're a Christian country mm. because all of our stores are open on Sunday. Yeah. Yeah. Here in Germany, everything shuts down around 1 o'clock on Saturday. Yeah. There's one bakery that's open Sunday morning, and as I understand it frequently, it'll rotate around mm -hmm. uh, so that you can get your bread for, for, for breakfast. But they're, they're closed by noon and all of that, and mm -hmm. that day is a day where everybody's got it off. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Now, Germany is, by most measures, an incredibly secular country, and yeah. yet they still honor that. Yeah, yeah. And for, from their perspective, the fact that we don't is a sure sign that, you know, that our Christianity is hollow. That we're more decadent than they are. Right. <laughs> right. Uh, Nicholas Lash, who I mentioned last week, once said he, he, was a, he taught for years at Cambridge University. But he said, uh, you know, through his visits to the States, he said, well, the difference between the U.S. and Britain is this. Um, in the U.S., they think they're a Christian nation, but they're a bunch of pagans. In Britain, we know we're a bunch of pagans, even though we still like to say that we're a Christian nation. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. Uh, and I think Britain was very similar, my experiences there. Is there were some things that shut down. There was still very much, uh, because of the churches, the, you know, the, the services going on regularly, but the, yeah. the shops were starting to be any day of the week, all day long. Kind of long. Americanized. Yeah, yeah, kind of. That's one of the things, of course, Chesterton was afraid would happen. Yeah. You know, it, one, of, one of the reasons why he was appalled at sort yeah. of the Americanization yeah. that was being, or Americanism that was being, you know, exported. Yeah, yeah. Um, anyway, th let's, these, these are great thoughts, but go well, ahead. Let, let, let's, let's go back to another dimension of this uh, consumerism. You know, we, we're, we're talking about the parishioners picking the churches, mm -hmm. but the churches then feel obligated to cater to the parishioners. Mm -hmm. So 
You have to, you know, you, I mean, I've talked about this before in connection with architecture. You set up your church in such a way that it is a comfortable and familiar space. Right. So you set it up. I mean, I've been in one church that had stadium seating and cup holders. Yeah, right, mm -hmm. right. Okay. Right. Um, you... In case you need to get up and cheer, you don't want to knock <laughs> over your drink. Right. That's right. Yeah, or, or you know, um, we, we have to have, you know, whatever the songs that are playing on the air right now on Christian stations, those are the ones we use in our worship, whether or not they're suitable for congregational singing. Right. Um, <laughs> we, I mean, it, it gets to the point where, where worship services will be using smoke machines. Yeah, yeah. yeah you know, yeah. to create the effects. Well, this yeah. is that, that notion of, of this sort of expressionist uh, culture that that um, you know sort of I mean we would call it at some points romantic expressivism several generations down. What do I mean by that? Well, when the when the human being con basically conceives what is significant about itself is the way it expresses its own originality or its distinct kind of um, emotional um, communication. It utilizes uh, um, these kind of popular modes of entertainment because they are typically the vehicles through which mm -hmm. people do that. And yeah. so the church is kind of just, in order to reach a culture that is steeped in that, they've just basically said, okay, well, let's just let's import that. Yeah, yeah speaking to that, I, yeah. I actually know a pastor who came to preach dressed as Superman. You know, think about this. This is a, yeah. an overweight, middle-aged oh. man <laughs> in a tight spandex outfit with a cape getting into the pulpit. I am I may, glad, maybe it was glad, a plexiglass pulpit. I am glad I'm not a visual person. <laughs> but, but just, you know, just think about... At least about, he wasn't dressed like Wonder Woman. <laughs> <laughs> that was the Episcopal Church down the street. <laughs> I believe it. All things to <laughs> all people. <laughs> But, but yeah. you, know, you know, when we get into this, uh, this whole idea of sort of accommodating yeah. uh, in, with, the, with the delusion that we're influencing, the, yeah. the question is this sort of a backwash, you know, wh what's influencing, you know, what? Yeah. You know, and, here. And, I, and I think, for one thing, uh, George, uh, George Hunter, who was a missiologist, a Methodist missiologist that I actually had a chance to meet down uh, at Yale uh, years ago. He was speaking at the Overseas Ministry Study mm. Center. And uh, he's, I don't remember a whole lot about what he said that day, but there was one thing that really stuck uh, you know, sort of in my mind and I've never forgotten. And, and his, his uh, statement was, we've lost our apostolic confidence. Mm. So what he meant by that is we go to the world and we tell the world what it needs. Yes. We tell the world how they're going to receive it. Yeah. 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 <laughs> and we tell the world, the, you know, that uh, they really don't know what they need. Yes. Yes. <laughs> so we, we, we concede far too much. We, yeah. we, we think that the world is an authority on its needs. It's not an authority on its That's needs. Right. It's clueless. That's, yeah. I, I th it's, it's interesting. Karl Barth, in his 20s material, as he was shifting from liberalism to embrace a deeper apostolic faith, he made that similar point. People do not know what their fundamental spiritual need is. It's yeah. not something that's on the surface for them. Everything that they think they know it is, is, is steeped in idolatry and, f and false ways of assuaging it. Right. And, right. So, and, so we, and this is, I think, where that, um, the, the, 
it, it's an interesting thing when you talk about cons, you know a, a consumer environment that that picks up on something that's very natural to fallen humanity, and that's their wants and their their covetousness, and mm -hmm. and then couple that with an identity that sees itself fundamentally. Um, as based on what it feels it is and wants and needs based on its own self-understanding. So what you have is, is all week long, you're basically gratifying those aspects of yourself that are fallen and need Mm -hmm. Redemption. <laughs> yeah, right. And so we just take that per particular um, same set of conditions and we bring it in the church and we put a kind of Christian you know, clothing over it, yeah. but it's not converted. Yeah, we, it, it doesn't only occur in the services, it occurs yeah. in our high-end coffee shops, so within the church. So far, I, I, I haven't I, run into a microbrew yet, but it's coming. It's you know, coming. It's coming. That's right. But, That's right. right. But, you know, Theology the, 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 <laughs> Oh, man. <laughs> <laughs> That's got the t no, 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 no. But, but, but when, you, when you think about it, right, th this is one of the things that I've been learning about students right now. Yeah. The, the students at the university have been asked all of their life, what do they like? Yes. You know, everything on the web is like, dislike. Yeah. You have about 30 seconds, if that, to catch their attention. And if you don't, they dismiss you as boring, irrelevant, or whatever, and they move on to yeah. something else. Yeah. Makes it a real challenge in the classroom. Uh, but yeah. it's fundamentally no different in the church. Mm -hmm. we have, we've designed the church in such a way that doing church, a phrase which I absolutely mm -hmm. hate, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> really revolves around finding ways to cater to what people like. Right. It's a cons because after mm -hmm. all, if you don't, you'll lose them, and yeah. they'll go somewhere else. Yep. And we are competing for the consumer. That yeah, that's that right there. That's what I was about to say. Is that what we've done is basically conceive the missional task as this on the same uh, level as the marketing and consumer task. Yeah, yes, yeah. exactly. Yeah. And and that's where we go fundamentally wrong. I often tell my students that when I'm doing uh, when I'm introducing um, the, you know systematic theology, and I start with the doctrine of God, and I start spelling through just how profound the riches we've been given as Christians when we realize the God that we have and what mm -hmm. that God mm -hmm. is like. And the, the you know, by the end of it, all of their mouths are wide open and, mm -hmm. and, and on. And I said, do you know this is the very thing that we eclipse because we're too busy trying to, 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 to compete with a set of things and we're not even pulling out the real things that, you know, you lift up Christ and draw, that draws all men to himself. Yes. That is, right. you, and, and what is it, what is interesting here is, is the Christ that is exalted in this, in this message is the Christ of the gospel, Christ crucified. Mm -hmm. Okay, this is, you know, this is Grunewald. This isn't a, mm -hmm. a beautiful, you know, or even, it's not even an El Greco for that matter. This is something that is, is does not compete on the world's stage of, of beauty and, and its definitions of what's good for me. Mm -hmm. But at, right. its, at its heart, and, and interestingly, the Grunewald painting mm -hmm. is medicinal. It, it's got all these little uh, medicine cures huh. within the painting, and it was placed yeah. within, I, I believe, uh, a hospital context. I could be wrong on that, I think that's going correct. back on a lot of, right. lot right. of years. So yeah, what you have here is this contrast, you know, theology of the cross at this point, which is the means to which true beauty comes. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, but it's one that has, it points to, it points to something that this world's kind of consumer marketing packaging 
cannot get a hold of because they're on fundamentally different levels of reality. One is truth <laughs> yeah. in, that shows in its mangled form of the cross, and yet in that you see the glory of God versus we try to package things up in a worldly sense of beauty. We eclipse the, the true beauty, and we are giving people basically uh, nothing more than painted over sin. Moving this away from the church for a moment, back into the educational context where it was a second ago, the, the problem that you run into mm -hmm. is you know, in the classroom, you have to appeal to them. You cannot put too much of an emphasis on facts. Yeah. I mean, a historian. I mean, I, I deal yeah, with yeah, things It's like all this. about facts. Because, <laughs> well, it's not all about facts, know, but, but you, you have to start with facts sure, in order yeah. to move to the things that are really interesting. Right. Yeah. But you can't, you, you can't expect them, quote unquote, to care about the facts because they can always Google it on their phone. Mm -hmm. So you, you can't ask them to remember anything because yeah. that's not relevant to them. I can find that out yeah. immediately. The problem with that mm -hmm. is that you only learn by association. Mm -hmm. And if you don't have facts, you don't have anything to associate with. Yeah. So the net effect of this is Google makes you stupid. Yeah. Yes. Right, right. yes. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. And, and you know, this is another aspect mm. of this consumerism because the consumerism and choice now merges into entertainment in the church and frankly in the schools. And you can even see it, you can, you can see it even in the museums, mm -hmm. which are trying to package themselves as sort of the immersive entertainment experiences. Right. Yeah. But you remember E.D. Hirsch back in the 80s, who, oh, yeah. you know, cultural literacy, yeah, and, yeah. You know, that's where he'd start. You know, he'd say that, you know, in, in order for people to be culturally literate, they need to know things. <laughs> and and then, then this gets us back to classical education, which. Yeah. You know, it begins with, you know, grammar, then on to rhetoric, and then yeah. on to, uh, I'm trying to think of this, the third category. But anyway, um, no, it's, uh, no, it's rhetoric is the last, I think it's logic, I think it's Dialectic. grammar, elective, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, the, so you've got those three, but, the, but you've got to master, when, it talk, when we're talking about grammar, it's talking about mastering the rules, yeah. mastering the facts. Mm -hmm. So anyway, you want to say something? Yeah. Well, no, I think that that right there is is sort of when we talk about the you know the all developing the right kinds of Christian alternatives. Um, it's interesting, but you know we're hearing more and more as as sort of it's the, the Christian Christians taking seriously their Christianity that are preserving the humanities and some different things like yeah. that because they see this the integratedness of this. But the, these are the kind of things that do put up resistance to those alternative. Um, uh, notions of the self, the consumer self, the, mm -hmm. you know, the self-expressive self. Um, that is what studying facts, that is what studying logic, that is what studying all of these things um, does. I was just teaching the other night, uh, teaching in an ethics class at night, um, and to, uh, I don't know how many of the, if any of the students are Christian, um, but they are all right at that age where they've been immersed in this sort of social justice world, right. um, and uh, in all this identity group thing. 
Um, but one of the things I went through is a list of what you know is going to be tolerable and intolerable in their papers, <laughs> and that's going to be you've got to understand the basics of, of at least logical fallacies. Yeah. And when I went through a lot of these fallacies, you could tell on the one hand they were sort of it was sort of like uh, Rudolf Otto's you know uh, mysterium tremendum and fascination, <laughs> right? On the one hand, they're in terror because wait a minute, somebody has just pulled the rug from under all of my attempts to assert my truth yeah, over right. them. All my tweets are <laughs> undermined. Undermined. But then there was a sort of fascination. But wait a minute, I can actually engage in a conversation and evaluate other people's truth claims that assert themselves. It was almost yeah. like they felt like they had no tools. Yeah. Um, and this is what I mean is... is and they've it, been taught critical thinking, yeah. uh, supposedly. Yes. Yeah, but, you know, but one of the things about critical thinking is it leads to conformism because conformism, they don't actually talk about the values that inform critical form thinking. Them. Yeah. And this is why I did actually pull this out so I get back to the consumerism. So when I started to, to, to talk about that very thing, I was talking about the way in which we put all of this, this, you know, this uh, emphasis on sort of originality and our own kind of you know, what is true for us and what others need to see. And I said, but why are you all wearing the same exact outfit? <laughs> I mean, every one of you are wearing That's the right, same yeah. exact, the for example, style of pants, same exact thing. Yeah, I, I, I remember <laughs> back, when, back when Madonna was big, there, there was a group that were called Madonna wannabes. And, and, and people, would, people, people would ask them why they were dressing like Madonna, and they answered to express my individuality. <laughs> that's, that, yeah, that's it. In a, that's, that's right. That that's is, right. Yeah, that's right. That's right. There's that famous far side. Uh, you remember far side? Yeah, yeah. Carrier, the, like, penguins. the penguins. <laughs> and, it, and there's one pegging singing, I've got to be me. <laughs> Yeah, you know, get, getting back to the church, though, you know, in all of this, a uh, couple of thoughts. One, you know, uh, ostensibly conservative evangelicals, and I have chosen each of those words mm -hmm. very carefully, ostensibly, yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, will contrast themselves with those liberals over there in the Episcopal Church or yeah. the UCC or whatever and say, look at what they've, you know, endorsed. But if you go to many of those churches, you'll see many things that would have been familiar to our ancestors two, three hundred years ago. You know, in terms yeah. of the vestments, in terms of the order of service. That's right. That's right. You know, the, the re now they may have, uh, you know, done the the, the horrible thing, uh, but, you know, something horrible by, you know, gender neutralizing everything. But but in terms of the the the, the liturgy and the yeah. sort of the sort of the the, the, the the sort of the structure of the of the liturgy it's it's recognizable you can say that this is part yeah. of the, the tradition even though yeah. they've endorsed everything at an ethical level and a social level that's just insane yes yeah but then you go to the evangelical church yeah. and they're liberal in a different way yes yeah. all the forms yeah. there is nothing about the forms in the service mm -hmm. that anyone from any right. time before 1950 yeah. or maybe 1960 or 1970 would recognize yeah they'd yeah. say I, what is this uh, yeah. carnival is this uh, a lecture is this you know, what concert? is a concert what, yeah. what's what is this thing I'm in yeah. here and 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 supposedly you can ab abstract Mm -hmm. The essence from yeah. the form, yeah. Yeah. you know, the idea that yeah. you know it's sort of like you know we can just sort of take the message out of this form mm -hmm. and put it in this form, and nothing changes. Yeah. It's not the case. And, and, and the question really is, what does that say about what each of them believes yeah. religion 
true religion yeah. is. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, is it found in the kinds of issues that the evangelicals want to hold on to, but not in the things that they're quite willing to jettison, mm -hmm. and vice versa with the liberals. Yeah. Right, right. Yeah, and what you see is a fragment, you know, the fragmentation sort of that came with the breakdown of classical Christianity there, right? When these things were held together, even though they, have been, they had been trending in this direction, that's what the Reformation was trying to salvage, it just, it's, other things kind of took over. But that fragmentation was exactly that. When you had sort of classical theology informing the liturgy, and liturgy therefore kind of um, being the, the performance of classical mm -hmm. theology mm -hmm. as it orients itself towards um, you know, the church's purpose, um, what you have is these things break apart. And so yeah, you, you, you hold one together, the, the content and form is, is expressed in different ways, but you're right, I think they, they're, they're basically if you want to start to see where it ends up, if nothing changes, they end up in the same place. Mm -hmm. I, I think no. they end up with kind of uh, expressions of a Gnostic sort of uh, yeah. sort of work, you know, outlook. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah. right. there's there's no sense that there's a connection between the material and the yeah. sort of the ideal or the in, the inner yeah. the yeah. meaning or whatever. Yeah. Um, the two things here. One of them is um, uh, Ken Boa. Um, theologian that I work with a, a good amount, uh, distributed something. It wasn't original to him, but it's a uh, test that you take. Hmm. And it's designed to put you in one of four quadrants theologically. Hmm. Um, one of them, the, your axes are, first of all, uh, cataphatic and anaphatic theology. Okay. Apathetic, excuse me. Yep. That is to say, God, emphasizing God is revealed versus God is mystery. The other is activist versus, uh, for lack of a better word, quietist. And you can land in, you know, the, the, the test is set up in such a way that you always land on one of the quadrants. You can't yeah. land mm. in the middle. And the trick is you want to be as close to the middle as possible. Mm. Um, and over time, you should actually sort of circle the center. Mm. The further out you are in any of the quadrants, the more unbalanced you are. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I think what we've got is, you know, if you analyze denominational tendencies, mm. you will find them in extremes in the different quadrants. Well, here's, you know, this would be great to have as a link in our show notes. Uh, you know, so I, you know, I don't know if that's available online. I'll try to, I'll try to get a hold of it um, without violating copyright. Right, right. Okay. Yeah. The, the, other, the other thing is I'm going to kind of go out on a limb here and make a prediction. Uh, judging from the fact that a significant number of evangelicals have started moving into the social justice warrior areas, yeah, yeah. I'm predicting that that's about to collapse in the culture. <laughs> you, always, you can always tell when something is on its last legs when the evangelicals jump. <laughs> that's <laughs> exactly the point that I was just trying to make. <laughs> the broader culture is about to yeah. reject social justice, and the evangelicals are all excited about it. Woodstock is over. Isle of Wight is coming. <laughs> so, let, let, let me move into yet another dimension that I see on this, this consumeristic choice-based Worldview that underpins a lot of what we do. Um, the obvious area to go next would be into areas of sexuality. Mm, yeah, right. Um, basically, in the wake of the sexual revolution, what we've been told is you are what you desire, mm -hmm. which is another way of expressing consumerism. Right. Yeah. Um, Getting back to liturgy and 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 the essence 
mm -hmm. or you know, the form, the content, why should it be a surprise to us that more and more evangelicals can di disassociate you know, the obvious message that anatomy sends mm -hmm. from their personal identity when in church they do it every week? Yeah. Mm -hmm. right. They talk about God as Father and they've got you know, all women clergy, or they talk about uh, you know, uh, the authority of God's word and everything about the service says you be you. Yeah. Why should we be surprised? Right. Yeah. So you, you, your primary identity these days always revolves around your pelvis. Yes. You know, are you heterosexual? Are you homosexual? Are you bisexual? Or let's take it a step further. Forget your pelvis. What do you feel like? What do you want to be? What do I you even conceive saw something of yourself as? There, there's your, your, your ethics of authenticity again, that, that the real you is the one that is the truth that you have when you're in contact with your self, your yeah. feeling. Right, right. Tom's got a phone call. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry about that, everyone. I can send a text. I'll let you find. Right. But, you know, so, you know, I actually saw something in the Atlantic not too long ago, and I think it was the Atlantic, uh, identifying heterosexuality as a social problem. Right. Yeah. Think about that. You know, this is, yeah. the, this is the level of insanity that we've descended to. Right. And, and so, so what, what, what is the sexual revolution about? It's about choice. Mm -hmm. It's about you have, you have the right to choose what you are, not just what you do, but what you are. Right, right. Um, so, I mean, I, I tell people, tell my classes, you know, if you asked me when I was, you know, a kid or out of, even out of college, what is your identity? Mm -hmm. I would have been confused. I mean, my first thing would, my first thought would probably have been, you mean like a secret identity, like <laughs> Clark Kent or something? What, what, yeah. what do you mean by identity? Yeah, right, right. And if you pushed me on it, I'd have said, okay, well, I'm a, you know, I'm a Christian, I'm a, a husband, I'm a father, right, I'm a, right. you know, whatever. I'd give you roles. Yeah. That, would be, that would have been, uh, uh, the only one that isn't a role, I suppose, is Christian. Right, but right. those were the, would be the things that I would have said. Mm -hmm. The last thing that, I would, that would have occurred to me is I'm a heterosexual male. Mm -hmm. yeah. well, and, and yet now, that's primary. Yeah, and in fact, people would have, uh, today people would, would challenge you on the roles. Mm -hmm. They would say that that's not the way you define yourself. You know, mm -hmm. or you should define yourself. Yeah. That, that's that's oppressive. And you know what? Maybe they're right. Maybe the, you shouldn't define yourself according to your roles. Maybe that's not really where I, your identity lies. But I can guarantee it also does not lie in who you want to sleep with or how you conceive of yourself as male or female. That's a given. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, and that's you know that's that's a lot of what happened in in the shift in the West. Is is at first you you had these sort of given hierarchies and and people really their identity was bound up so close to it that they really didn't question it and there was there was little mobility anyway. So. So there, 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 wasn't, uh, the, there wasn't the anxiety about, uh, around that. But as things sort of shift, and you know, we'll talk about this in a few weeks, when, when, the, when the, what is true about a person becomes most fundamentally that sense of themselves that they have of themselves. Mm -hmm. and, and what they feel and what they want, those, pa those things that are the deepest sense of ourselves, what, what being real with or true to myself is, um, then that starts to bring these other things into an identity that otherwise would have been established external. 
Now they're internally established, and so when they're internally established, I sort of have control over how they're going to um, define me. Mm-hmm. And, and, and isn't that the least stable part of ourselves? Yes. Our desires. Yes. They, they, yes. they flit, they, they come, they go, yes. you know. And, and yet, in some ways, we're getting back to Augustine. Well, yeah, if we've come to the true desire, the fundamental desire. Right. So Augustine argued essentially that all your actions are determined by the weight of your love. What is it Mm -hmm. that you love the most at a particular point in time? Mm -hmm. And that it is our, our love, the weight of our love, that really arguably defines us in Augustine. So, so there is an element there where we're, we're tying into this. Mm-hmm. But Augustine, at the same time, would adamantly have rejected everything that comes out of the sexual revolution. Well, because he understood us as creatures. Right. Created. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And so that, that's, the, that's the other factor that, that we have to add in here. Yeah. And, and our culture does not define us that way. Doesn't think of us in, those, in that, that term. In, in that way. Yeah. It, that's, that's very, you know, that's... A, it's interesting that the way in which our desires start to become, um, our, our, our desires in the raw, maybe a way of putting it, um, our unredeemed desires, our, uh, our desires not oriented properly toward God and all things in relation to God, they become the very um, raw material out of which we need to construct ourselves in mm-hmm. this new anthropology, or well, it's not new, but, but in this shift. And so, the first thing you have to do to truly be yourself, to be, truly be in touch with your feeling, is not to be determined by any externals other than those that actually um, gratify or fulfill that kind of desire or that kind of feeling that you see is closest to, to your likes, your wants, who you are. Um, the, uh, you know, th- but the other side of that is it, there, there has been, I think Charles Taylor gets into this, there has been a, the growth alongside that in the West with this sort of self-determining um, notion of the self, which means not, not only is, is truth me being in contact with my, my feelings or what, what uh, you know, I feel is good for me, um, but also that I alone, distinct from any external pressure, have the responsibility and the power to determine this for myself. Hmm. So what's true for me is true for me. Yeah, it may yeah. not be true for you. What is good for me is good for me. So your imposition of traditional morality is, is an oppressive if it is not something that I... But that is, doesn't that imply that yeah. it's not a personal endeavor, that, that we have to have this, this sort of the cooperation of our community, which is a sort of... A sneaky way yeah. of, of uh, you know, sort of conceding or, identi- or sort of seeing that yeah. we are social creatures after all. Well, right. So the, the interesting thing is that in the name of not imposing morality, they're imposing morality. Yeah. That's exactly what it, you know, what it boils down to. Yeah, and that's, and that's where I sort of Taylor calls these things, the, um, he calls these the deforming of what may be an okay ideal. He, he's going to weigh whether it is or not. But he says those are deformations of it, the ones that undermine the very social conditions that you need in order to be a, a kind of self that can be recognized and also recognize others. Um, and he says so, sort of the Christopher Lash critiques and the Alan Bloom who critique this kind of culture of relativism, they're, they're looking at it only from the doom and gloom side. 
But his argument would be maybe we can salvage it. Maybe we can go the other way and say, wait a minute, in order to be this kind of um, dignified self that has a funda the final say in who we are and what we want in determining our own life, maybe we do need to recognize that there are some kind of external hierarchies of value that we have to subscribe to. And see, this is Taylor's solution, I think, to that, is he, he thinks we can't, go, we can't go back because it's already so infused. Sure. And so he thinks maybe we can redirect it. And I think right there is where I, kind of, I think the, whiz, the theological wisdom has to kind of play in, because how do we redirect it is the key point. Mm -hmm. I think the most of evangelicals are re trying to, to kind of to, to guide it to want its kind of thing. Right, right. Um, but the problem is, is it doesn't have uh, enough of any alternative to really do much guiding or anything else. Just, just so folks know, we're ordering another round. <laughs> do we have down east? I'll have a down east. Same. I will do another counter or counterweight. Right. Our waitress doesn't want to talk because she doesn't want to be on the show. <laughs> <laughs> All right, thanks a lot. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> anyway, you know, uh, kind of a, a couple thoughts here. One is the, the, the uh, we use the word parishioner. We, we used that word earlier sure. in the show. But a parishioner is someone who belongs to a parish, hmm. which is geographically defined, hmm. which you, you know, live in, and you are, you know, at least before our time, often was born in. Uh, mm -hmm. And you didn't get to choose all the people you went to church with. There was a, a church for the community, at least until you know the nonconformists came along, and the, you know, and we had a pro proliferation of sort of boutique, you know, <laughs> oh, <ouch. laughs> boutique well, Christian churches, well, 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 boutique theologies. <laughs> well, well, while we're on this, it, it, it does sort of remind me that with your writing, you really are in a situation where you have to choose uh, publisher parish. Yeah. <laughs> but but in those situations, you're sort of like, wow, this is the place that God put me. Wow, these are the people that God put me with. Yeah. I don't like any of them. <laughs> you know, but here I am. I'm with them, and you know, I, I, I've heard this, this this explanation for the sort of the genius of, of the Latin Mass. It doesn't favor anybody. Right. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. It's nobody's right. language. That's I, right. I, I, yes. had a, I had a friend yeah. when I when I first graduated. I was talking to somebody about this, and and. You know, I grew up Catholic, and you know, I, I'm sort of a post-Vatican II guy. I grew up with English. I said, you know, it's really good to be able to understand the Mass. And he, th this guy was a little older than me. He said, you know, no, not really. He said, I was in the Navy, and I went to a church in Japan, Catholic mm. church in Japan. And they were doing the liturgy in Japanese, and I didn't understand a thing. But mm. when I went up to the communion rail, the Japanese priest looked at me and thought, he doesn't know Japanese. And he said, Hawkest corpus meum. Mm -hmm. This is my body in Latin. He said, that I could say amen yeah, to. Right, if right. he had said that to me in Japanese, he might, have, he might have been telling me my fly was down. <laughs> you know? So yeah, there's something there. There is something there. And a family is like that? Mm -hmm. I think one of the problems that we have today is this consumerism has is sort of in, in you know, inve you know, sort of infected, that was the word you used earlier, family life, mm -hmm. to the point now, that um, yeah. you know, we want to choose not only mm -hmm. you know who's in the family, but uh, we want to choose who gets to play what role in the family. Yeah. Or, yeah. <laughs> you know, maybe mom wants to play dad, and dad wants yeah. to play mom. Who, and, you know, who, all this kind of stuff. Yeah, and that you know, this notion that everyone has an equal say 
Mm, that's the other yeah. thing. Right, right. Yeah. The Democratic family. Yeah, yeah. Right. <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah. I can't take that promotion you gave me because my kids voted it down. You know, that, that, that whole idea. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. So, yeah, you know, we end up with this sort of crazy, uh, you know, thanks, this crazy uh, world that functionally is just dysfunctional. You know, yeah. you know when when the children run the show, the lunatics are running the asylum. You know what I'm getting at. Yeah. Well, when when <laughs> when we take it a step beyond that, though, let let's. I'm, I mean, I've been steadily trying, without success, to move this outside of the realm of the church. No, you can't do that. <laughs> but 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 you see, the, the the same issue of choice moves into what is it that you choose yeah. to believe? Mm-hmm. What mm-hmm worldview are you going to adopt? What causes are you going to adopt? What are you going to what are you going to use as sort of an organizing principle for your life? In other words, what is your base worldview going to be? Are you going to dedicate yourself to feminist causes or racial racial justice causes or are you going to work um, on um, uh, immigration, is that going to be what's going to be the organizing principle right now? Or maybe you want to go in the other direction and you want to go the white supremacist route and so you're going to attach yourself to the Norse gods mm-hmm, mm-hmm. In, in a neo-pagan type context. Right, right. Or something else. You know, right. the, the, they're, they're, once again, we're in a consumer-driven world mm-hmm. when it comes to even religion and worldview beyond just the church. I think John Garshner years ago talked about the way in which Jonathan Edwards, with his deep Augustinian <laughs> view of, of the, you know, the bondage of the will and, and this kind of libertine will that was growing up out of the Enlightenment, um, yeah. it was his work on the freedom of the will that actually slowed the progress of that down generations because that had already infected the church and the wider culture at that time through the church, interestingly. Yeah. Um, but, but what we have here is definitely this, where we see sort of this unpremised choice, where, where it's, it's, it's our sheer choice, and if it has anything that, that shapes it, it's merely our authentic self, right? Defined by our own feelings and desires and wants and our own self-understanding, our own story. That's the... The way everyone has a voice, their story needs to be heard. This all grows right out of this self-centered, um, you know, being of, of of somehow intersubjective truth revelation. This reminds me of a conversation I had when I was was in seminary, where we were doing a church history class, and there was, and they were addressing some social history issues, and. The professor asked the question, well, you know, we can talk about the Enlightenment. You know, we can talk about all of these things, but that's an elite thing. What were the peasants thinking? <laughs> and one of, my, one of my friends was talking to me about this later, and he said, I don't care what the peasants were thinking. <laughs> or they in, didn't make a difference. Yeah, or they may not have been thinking anything interesting. Yeah. Yeah, this, this reminds me of something. It's it kind of an amusing story. And, and, and I, I, I hope people don't take this in the wrong way. But anyway, years ago when my, my wife and I were just newly married, she learned about an autobiography by a, someone who had Down syndrome. She was taken with this. She said, I got to read this. So she got it. And uh, she was very disappointed because it was an autobiography with, uh, by someone who had Down syndrome. 
not a deep reflection on you know sort of you know mental illness or or being disabled. In other words, it was written by someone who had a vocabulary and a way of thinking that corresponds to about the third grade. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So so like when we when we think about what were the peasants thinking, they were probably you know oftentimes thinking peasantly. You know, it's peasant thoughts. That's right. They were thinking know? about the duties they had to do to carry out their peasant, mm. peasant, peasant life. work. It doesn't yeah. mean that they, they couldn't have been interesting or there wasn't interesting things to say, but they typically were not the ones who really even had the leisure space. Sure. And everybody knows that I'm Mr. Blue Collar. That's you know? it, yeah. But, but the thing right. is, yeah, is, this is... This is not a slam yeah. on the peasants or on people with Down syndrome. No, no. 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 What, what we're talking about here is that within the world that God has made, there are hierarchies. And one of those hierarchies is the, the hierarchy of intelligence. There's another hierarchy when it comes to creativity. And oftentimes those things go together. Yeah. And interesting mm -hmm. breakthroughs happen with people who have those sorts of abilities. So we don't go to people who don't have you know, great you know intelligence and uh, d demonstrated creativity for some breakthrough meta you know sort of medical technology. We just don't do that. That's right. Yeah. Uh, now, in terms of how well your your mother sort of you know uh, manages her household when you're a child, where she exercises her her just her, her dogged determination and honesty and mm -hmm. and. And her, her creative abilities within that, within that, per, those parameters. That's a different thing. Mm -hmm. So may, maybe, maybe I've kind of backed myself into uh, a kind of uh, challenge that we need to to meet, mm -hmm. which is competencies within certain ranges. Yeah. You know, and what what does make history? You know, that's what you mm -hmm. raise, you, you raise the question you raise. What what makes for history? Well. Frankly, there are elites, and those those elites are the people who shape history for good or ill mm -hmm. at whatever period of time, and they have extraordinary um, opportunities, privileges, mm -hmm. abilities, whatever, you, however you want to put it, uh, to to have a, a disproportionate mm -hmm. impact upon the sort of the trajectory of a culture. So we think about Socrates, we think about Jesus, we think about these people. And you sort of think about the church and it's, it, it, for, for a long time in the West. I mean, it, right. it became, it was sort of the institution through which it's it, the education and, you know, the center point of a lot of society. And so you did, I mean, you had your different structures, but definitely the, 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 the teaching and the theological um, side of the church and the educational side um, directed and shaped, even though it was involved with the different levels, like the stuff that came out of, you think of the, the Franciscans, and mm -hmm. all, sure. the, all the nominalism and everything else came yeah. out of trying to deal with practical aspects of, of, of ministry. But one of the things that's interesting is, I was mentioned in Edwards a little while ago, and the, the way in which that work on the freedom of the will kind of put a, a slowdown on, and then, then later this, this notion of the self came through. Um, and, and it really, it, it's a traceable, it's a traceable line. Um, but one of the things that's interesting there is, is that the, you know, the self is, is really con conceived fundamentally almost as we're, we're little, little 
deities in a sense that we create ex nihilo out of our choices. Mm -hmm. You know, those choices, again, they may be, if they're going to be authentic, they conform to what we conceive of as our nature, right? So again, we're dealing with almost taking a doctrine of God and planting it on our anthropology. And we're turning very Pelagian. Yes. We're rejecting yes. original sin and all of those kinds of things. That's right. And that, yeah, that goes, I, here is a key hit. I know a lot of models that work with, with trying to direct consumers plays on the fact that we are sinners and therefore they, they're stirring and guiding our, you know, our covetousness. Concupis our concupiscence. <laughs> concupiscence. Yes. Um, and fair enough, that's a different show. Um, but one of the other things that's being admitted is the, the, the fundamental aspect of our view of humanity that is behind that is basically unredeemed humanity in a modern form. It, this isn't regenerate humanity whose loves are oriented and ordered the right ways according to the right hierarchy of created order and moral order. These are loves that are allowed to, to do what they want because they're directed only by my um, unredeemed self. So even as a Christian, okay, that may put some limits and shapes on what I buy or don't buy or this, that, and the other, but it doesn't cause me necessarily to put a question mark over the whole conception of what it means to be a human as a consumerist or someone whose choices determine what's good or bad, right or wrong, for better, for, for worse. It is, is consumerism, as we're thinking about it, also sort of a uh, free market approach to egalitarianism? Mm -hmm. In other words, it's a leveling kind of thing. Yeah. So, uh, you know, the distinctions and hierarchies in paste, for example, mm -hmm. uh, or in any other kind of uh, judgment uh, are lost. So, you know, when we come to the, the matter of how do we judge art, mm -hmm. now it's about the authentic, it's about the political, That's right. That's right. it's not about... Uh, it's it, about shock value. It's shock about shock. Yeah. Now, we end up with hierarchies there because they're, someone's being more authentic. Yeah, that's yeah. right. I, I there some, are hierarchies. I had somebody tell me that the definition of art is whatever an artist or an art critic says it is. There you go. Yeah. So now, so it, Which is an elitist definition, by the way. Yeah, but, but, but this is, maybe, maybe, that, maybe that's the, 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 the paradox here, is sort of, or the irony, mm. that you can never get away from elitism. Mm -hmm. So maybe the best form of elitism is the honest elitism. Just sort of, there was a book a number of years ago that was entitled, I can't remember the author, but it was entitled In Defense of Elitism. <laughs> and There's now, a brave man. Yeah. Well, Rousseau, it, no. <laughs> Rousseau wrote it years, <laughs> years ago. Yeah, but uh, in that book, I actually taught it uh, when I was teaching uh, sort of like uh, contemporary ethics or something like that. But it's been a long time. It's like 15 years ago that I taught that. But uh, I, remember, I do remember about the book in his introduction, and this guy was like a kind of a, uh, he was a writer, uh, you know, sort of in the, uh, kind of in the George Will kind of uh, Malcolm, you know, uh, not Malcolm Geit, but uh, who's the other Malcolm who writes all the poems? Gladwell. Gladwell, yeah. Mm. You know, that kind of a guy. And uh, he, he said in his introduction that when he told his mother who was like an old-fashioned liberal? What his title was? She just she said, "I'm going to I'm going to disown you." <laughs> but but essentially, you know, we we're either honest with our elitism, mm -hmm. or we're dishonest with it. It doesn't go away, mm -hmm. you know. So um, now 
I think that there, there are ways that even honest elitism can be bad. And we're familiar with that, sure. with you know Jesus and his condemnations of the hypocrisy of the Pharisees and the Sadducees and stuff like yeah. that. So, but I think uh, if we're going to to have a, a hierarchy of meaning, we're going to have a hierarchy in other in every other way. Yeah. You know, we we don't we don't uh, turn on the television on Sunday to watch football so that we can see a bunch of guy, fat guys, you know, who just sort of are authentic and love the game play. <laughs> we, we Not yet, see, anyway. <laughs> we want to see the best players yeah. that yeah. there are. Yeah. And those guys can command tremendous money because people really, really want to see them play and compete. And everybody wants the best. When it comes to draft day, there's no talk about, yeah. you, know, you know, equality, you know. Yeah. You know, it, it, there's talk about equity in terms of what is he worth. Yeah, sure. But there's, there's yeah. no talk about this guy is just as good as that guy. Yeah. You know, it, it's all about performance. Yeah, and, and yeah, the leveling that starts to go on when one starts to get away from that is just incredible. I wanted to back up really quickly to a, 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 a something I guess that hasn't. It, it's been it's been floating around this topic, um, and this is something I think about often. Um, I often think about it from uh, from a quote that uh, Henri de Lubac, the famous um, Vatican II sort of right. um, uh, resourcement Catholic, uh, came up with, and he wrote a little book on sort of atheistic humanism or something. And he has this, I've got it. Yeah, and he has at the beginning of that a very interesting thing. He says, "Why is it that when Christianity came on the original scene, it was seen as a source of liberation, um, salvation?" And then you go X amount of time. Now it seems to be the source of oppression and this, and we can historically go into why that. But I think one of the things that is hard to engage as a Christian now, speaking into a world in which everyone is free without Christianity, is this kind of exhilarated sense that people have the more they break down these oppressive hierarchies, these external forms of conformity, and they're allowed to express themselves in light of who they truly are. There is something there that I think the church is tempted to either embrace or try to redirect, but not play as an alternative because it always looks like it's an oppression mm -hmm. in contrast to it. And I think the great trick of this demonic <laughs> Um, viewpoint, which I do think it is ultimately the Enlightenment viewpoint. I think it is, it's a perversion of, of true Christianity um, in, in its postmodern variants, is, is that it looks like a type of deeper salvation, deeper justice, deeper because it takes so significant the human person's self. Mm -hmm. Um, to which the kind of mediated hierarchical sense that the, the old classic order of Christianity just somehow seems like a, a terrible alternative to because it doesn't allow that self to, to flourish the way it wants to, what, what Taylor will later call this sort of exclusive humanism. Mm -hmm. So I think like the Taylor and the people that jump on that board say, well, let's try to, let's realize we can't go back on this and let's kind of take it, let, let's redirect it. But one of the questions I have is not merely subvert it, not merely challenge it or be a fundamentalist alternative to it. Um, I think we need to do a little demythologizing of it or maybe deconstructing to use their terms. Um, 
But one of the things we have to point out is the incredible burden that is placed on a person and human beings when it is up to them through their choices to realize every aspect, not only of their identity and it being recognized, but actually for all meaning and significance and ultimately their own human flourishing and eternity. I mean, Wu-Tang is, what, what is this choice, where does this choice-driven self stop? You have to choose what religion fits you. You have to choose what politics fits you. This seems liberating. One, and no one's forcing you to do it. It's, it's so attractive. But on the other hand, one, you're conforming because you have no measure to, to outside of, of your own choice that's been shaped already, whether you like it or not, by the, the pressures around you. That's why, why do all these social justice kids almost look the same in all their concerns? Right? Mm -hmm. I don't yeah, they, see why I they belong. Yeah, it's, it's this radical conformity. Because so, frankly, they've been told what to believe. They've told been told what to what's do. good. They've been told all of these things. They have never, they have never been free. Really <laughs> been free. Right. They've never been free. And I think that's what we need to do is kind of start picking the pseudo-freedom and the pseudo-liberation and kind of taunting it a little bit. So you're not free. You're nothing but the biggest conformist. And, and, and even everything, when you submit to your so-called self, it's nothing more than a self that looks like all those other little selves around here right. that are conforming to the same pressures of manipulators, elites right. or not. Right. Um, anyway, that's my take. Well, <laughs> we, should, we should wrap up here. We're, we're getting a little long. You know. yeah. I'd like to, you know, to, to say, and then, we'll, and then you guys can put your last two cents in, but I, I'd like to say there's a kind of paradoxical dynamic that goes on within this sort of consumer world where people want to be affirmed by authorities. Hmm. So think about, think about American Idol, hmm. the television show where yeah. different sort of aspirant yeah. entertainers present their acts, hmm. sing, do whatever. Now who's the guy now, I don't watch it at all, but I know there's one guy who's like the hard... Simon Crow. Guy from England, S yeah. 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 Now, everybody is like looking at him to see what he's going to say. <laughs> and he's the guy who's not the nice guy. Yeah. Right. He's the guy with the standards. <laughs> so everybody else is able to sort of like, you know, sort of say, oh, that was great, that was beautiful, that was the best thing I've ever heard, or whatever, you know. But, you know, no one takes those, those people seriously. Then everybody's like, now it's time for Simon to speak. <laughs> and then Simon makes his judgment. And either he'll crush you and destroy you, or he'll send you through the roof. And like, wow, even Simon liked me. <laughs> you know, in other words, not just because he's a fuddy-duddy or he's got some quirky personality, but because he knows recognizes good. He recognizes talent. That talent. Trying to, yeah. Think about another, here's another example, of what I think, of what I'm getting at. Gandalf. Gandalf the Grey. You know, when you think about Gandalf in The Lord of the Rings, even in the movies, uh, he is the authority that everybody is hoping uh, will approve uh, of them. You know, he, he, you know, when you think of the hobbits, when you think about every, even the elves, I mean, everybody's got this sort of deference to Gandalf. He's wise. Yeah. You know, a wizard is, you know, the root, uh, is the same root as the word wisdom, you know, mm -hmm. in the in the English, and uh, so the wizard is the wise man, and so he's the wise man makes his judgments, and it's because of Gandalf in the Lord of the Rings and his judgment that the hobbits mm -hmm. 
are there's more going on there with them than you know. I can see things in them that you're missing. Even Elrod is missing, but Gandalf sees. So it's his judgment that vindicates and uh, is a great source of, well, I think uh, the affirmation that people are longing for. It's but, a, it's a, but it's a it's a it's a hierarchy yeah. that it's a standard that's a that's yeah. a that's a true standard. It's a objective yeah. standard. It's one of the uh, mysteries of the whole culture of of you know you know defining yourself based on yourself is that it does have this need for recognition. Yeah. And I think that is sort of a, a, almost a way in which our natures are such that they do recognize that there is this kind of hierarchy of meaning and value. And I think we can we can kind of uh, speak meaningfully into that, um, and I think that's an important way of doing it. We see it all the time. Let's kind of talk about it in you know deeper or alternative ways that that have often been jettisoned by the, the mm -hmm. culture. Right. Anything you want to say about the subject, uh, Glenn, as as, you, as we wrap up? Well, I I think that that consumerism almost acts as an over worldview in a lot of ways. Mm. You know, we talk about our individual worldviews and, you know, what, what people are thinking and how they're thinking and all that sort of thing. But I think that we need to actually take a step even further back and look at the prior commitments they have to their own independence, or at least their, their self-conception of independence, freedom of choice, picking what they want to pick, seeing their own truths, all of those kinds of things that I think actually in a lot of ways may precede some of the worldview commitments that they end up mm, making. Mm, mm. Um, along with that, uh, I would also note the absolutely destructive effects that this has in so many other areas. Mm. Uh, we talked about, pretty extensively about the church, mm -hmm. but I see this in the universities, I see this in the degree to which um, uh, you know, students evaluate things so fast, virtually instantly, on the basis of whether or not they think that it's relevant or whatever. They, they don't get to the point where, I mean, I, I am actually starting to say things in class like, okay, bottom line here, here are five things that as an educated person you ought to know. Mm. We're not going to deal with any of the other things dealing with it. Just get mm. these five points down. Mm or four points, or three points, yeah. you know, yeah. whatever. Because unless they see value in it, unless they see that this is instantly relevant to them, they switch off. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. it, it, it ends up being destructive in the church, it ends up being destructive in education, and probably in a whole lot of other areas as well, but those are right. the two that are, are kind of foremost in my mind right now. Right, right. Wow, there, there's a lot more that could be said on this, but uh, we are already gone pretty long. <laughs> anyway, uh, let's wrap things up. Well, thanks a lot for listening to the Theology Podcast, and we'll have other shows, and I imagine that we'll revisit this particular theme some, some, at some point in the future. But uh, thanks for listening. We really appreciate it. Bye-bye. Bye now. Bye.